the secrets of the vine. You know, all of uh, nature depends on hidden resources. Rivers have their sources in the, the snow-capped mountains. And for, for instance, this is the uh, headwaters of the mighty Mississippi River. From that little pond there comes the mighty Mississippi River. Uh, the great trees, they send down their roots down into the earth to draw up water and minerals. The, the most important part of the tree is the part you can't see, the root system. And, and that makes me think of this. The most important part of the Christian's life is the part that only God can see. Unless we learn to draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, we will fail against the pressures of this life. Now today we are resuming our series through the Gospel of John. We took a little break for a few weeks during the summer. Uh, but now we come to the third and the final section of John's Gospel. And this last section is focused on Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He was born specifically to point us to truth. Well, here we are, summer is winding down, and I suppose over the summer, uh, many of you planted gardens. Why do you plant a garden? Well, for the yield of produce, right? The production of fruit. Why does a, a farmer plant crops? I recently, as I was looking for some illustrations, I came across this ad. Uh, it's for corn seed, and it's targeted at corn farmers. And the ad is designed to tempt the farmer with the slogan, strong roots, strong stocks, strong yields. Strong yields. The goal of the whole farming enterprise is the yield, isn't it? The, the produce, the fruit. And if gardens did not produce fruit and vegetables, then how many of us would go through all the, the time and effort and trouble? The goal of the garden is the fruit. And so it is with God and with our life. You know, God is a farmer. You ever think about that? God doesn't plant corn seed, though. He plants people. We are in his garden, and he wants us to produce fruit for his own pleasure. You and I were created for a specific purpose, to produce fruit for God. But have you ever stopped to think, what kind of fruit is God looking for? He's looking for things like obedience and righteousness and worship and glory, all from his creation. But if we are in God's garden and if we are created to produce fruit for him, we kind of arrive at a, a pretty fundamental question. How can we be sure that God is pleased with our fruit? What will it take for us to be acceptable to God? Do we need to follow some sort of strict set of rules and regulations in order to produce good fruit? Do we need to perform certain sacrifices or rituals in order to be considered productive in God's garden? What about, what do we do with that nagging feeling that we don't always measure up to what God is looking for? Well, I think our passage in John 15 this morning gives us the answer to these questions. In this passage, we learn how we can be pleasing to God and how to produce the fruit 
that he desires for us. And so I want to invite you to read with me John 15, verses 1 through 11. The words are on the screen. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. Let's read together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen. The word of God. Well, here we see the seventh and final I am statement of Jesus. We've been looking at these as we've worked our way through the gospel of John, as recorded by John in his gospel. And these, you might remember, are these unique statements where Jesus takes the holy personal name of God, Yahweh, I am, and he applies it to himself. And so in this text today, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And so today we're going to focus on this truth. There is only one way to please God and produce fruit. And that is to stay connected to Jesus, the vine. And in order to do that, we have to recognize, first of all, that Jesus is the true vine. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, this is a, a metaphor that might be a bit strange or foreign to some of us. Um, and you know, I was thinking for a long time, I thought that Jesus was just using the vine as, as an illustration. You know, you can imagine Jesus walking through one of the many vineyards in the, in the Middle East in that time and thinking to himself, I can, I can use a vine to illustrate what I want to teach my disciples. Uh, now, to be sure, the vine certainly is an illustration, but Jesus is not just using the vine to illustrate his teaching. He's doing much more than that. Jesus has carefully chosen the vine image to say something that in the first century was quite controversial and even outrageous. I wonder if you see the scandal of verse 1. You see, Jesus did not say, I am like a vine. No. He is not just comparing himself to a vine. He says he is the vine. 
And then similarly, he doesn't just say, I am a vine, as though there were many vines, and he's just one of them. No, Jesus says, I am the vine, the one, the only vine. But then that's not even all. Instead of simply saying, I am the vine, he says, I am the true vine. The true vine. What in the world does that mean? How can a vine be true? It seems like the word true is the whole point. And so we have to then ask another question. If Jesus is the true vine, who or what is the untrue vine? Now, these first century Jewish people who heard Jesus teach that day probably knew exactly what he meant. He was talking about the people of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, the grapevine is a prominent symbol for the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. In fact, right in their temple, in that beautiful temple, the very center of their national life, right over the doorway to the main entryway, there was a massive vine made of solid gold over 90 feet high. Now this is just a little model. That's not a very good picture. It's the best one I could find though. But can you see the vine going up and around? Solid gold. And so when the people entered into the temple, when they came for worship and they looked ahead, they would see that beautiful golden vine glimmer, glimmering in the sunlight. And they would say, that's us. That, that represents us. We are the vine. Wow. And so Jesus takes that symbol of the nation and of their prosperity and their pride and he applies it to himself. The vine was a favorite metaphor to describe the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Time and again in the scriptures, we see that Israel is likened to a vine. Here's an example from Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11. The psalmist writes, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. You see, the people of God in that psalm are described as a massive vine growing, taking over the land planted by God. God had brought them out of Egypt and planted them in their own land. And the whole purpose for their redemption was that they would bear fruit for his pleasure. But if you're familiar at all with the story of the Old Testament, you will know that even though Israel was planted well by the Lord, she didn't produce fruit, at least not the fruit that God wanted very often. Later on, the Lord says to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2, he, he says, I planted you a choice vine entirely of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? He says, I, I planted this beautiful vine in my vineyard and up grew this weed, this degenerate weed that's just taken over. How did that happen? You see, it was because by and large, the Lord didn't find the fruit that he was looking for in Israel, in his beloved vine. The vine of Israel proved false. 
So Jesus' claim, I am the true vine, was scandalous and it was unexpected. He's saying that he is the faithful and true Israel. Where the nation of Israel failed to produce the fruit that God was looking for, Jesus succeeded. Where the people of Israel fell short of God's righteous requirements time and time again, Jesus succeeded. Though Israel bungled its mission to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, Jesus gets the job done. Now this doesn't mean that God has abandoned Israel. On the contrary, he has sent Jesus to meet their deepest need. Jesus is their substitute. He will be the final and ultimate sacrifice for their sins. As the Lamb of God, he will bring them to God properly. Jesus is the most compelling proof of God's love for Israel and for all mankind. After all, the Old Testament is a 2,000 year long reminder that Israel was not able to please God on their own. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. And in that one shocking sentence, Jesus announces that he is the new and faithful planting of the Lord. He represents the new people for God's pleasure who will bear good and abundant fruit. And so to please God and to produce fruit in our lives, we must be connected to Jesus, the true vine, which then reminds us that we have to understand also, number two, that if Jesus is the true vine, we are the branches. In verse five, Jesus says that right to his disciples. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus then makes it clear that there are two different kinds of branches, right? Fruitful branches and unfruitful ones, which then has me asking, which one am I? Which one are you? Are we the fruitful branch? Do we produce in our life what is pleasing to God? Or are we the unfruitful branch? How can we be sure of which one we are? Well, the passage tells us that there is only one difference between the two branches. Fruitful branches abide you heard that word come up over and over and over in that short scripture we read. Fruitful branches abide in the vine. Verse five and six, make it very clear. Whoever abides in me, Jesus says, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And so the secret of the fruitful branches is that they abide in Jesus. What does it mean to abide? It's not a word we use a lot in the 21st century. We don't do a lot of abiding. But the word abide essentially means to remain, to stay put, to linger in one place, or to dwell so the most important thing for a branch to do is to stay connected to the vine. Now, I asked my, my good friends, Peter and Sue Wolf, who have some great vines in their 
yard to bring a, a clipping today. And so they did that for me. I have this beautiful grapevine here. It's even got a bunch of grapes. They're a little hard to see from the back there, but there's a bunch of grapes right there. It's a beautiful piece of the vine. And I'm thankful that they brought it for my illustration today. But here's something interesting about this piece of vine. If I just leave it here, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither and it's going to die. It's been disconnected, hasn't it, from the source of life? Put in a car, transported across town, set up here for us to look at and admire, but its ultimate destiny is the recycling bin across the parking lot. You see, it's that way with us as well. Only a branch that receives life-giving sap from the vine can live and bear fruit. And you know, so many people live their lives as if they are an independent vine. They think that they can please God in their own strength, in their own effort. But friends, we are not autonomous, standalone vines. We're not designed to be that way. We are only the branches. And as mere branches, the most important thing that we can do is to stick with Jesus Christ, to dwell with Him, to remain with Him, to linger in His presence. Jesus says, whoever abides in Me, it is He who bears much fruit. And so we know the converse is also true. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever stopped to just think about what that means? Apart from me, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Think about that. Let that, let that seep in for just a minute. You know, it occurs to me in reality, we, we can do a lot apart from the vine, can't we? We can have a career. We can raise a family. We can preach a sermon. We can earn money, even hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of dollars. We can, we can climb Mount Everest. We can put a man on the moon. We can do all of these amazing things in our own capacity, and they can even go very well. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, there's one thing that we cannot do on our own apart from Jesus. And that one thing is this. We cannot produce fruit. We cannot produce fruit if we are disconnected from the vine. Branches just can't do that. We can't produce the obedience and the righteousness that pleases God if we are disconnected from Jesus Christ. If we are continually operating independently of Jesus, we might look pretty good. We might feel successful and self-sufficient. And we might even get some good results. But we will never, ever Produce the fruit that God is looking for. How many of us go through life trying to do things entirely in our own strength? Never pausing 
to be dependent upon God's power. The truth is, we are completely incapable of pleasing God until we are utterly dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, just reminds me of this. The church is the body of Christ. It is the flock. It is the family of God. And we are interconnected. And apart from the body of Christ, we are disconnected and we cannot, cannot produce the fruit that God wants for us. Abiding in the vine is the difference between a worthless branch and a fruitful one. And what is the fate, by the way, of those branches? In verse 2, we see that every branch that does not bear the true fruit is what? Taken away. And then verse 6 tells us more. The branches that do not abide are gathered together and burned. Friends, the hard fact is that a person in whom there is no vital fruit, a person who lives independently of Jesus Christ and his body, is ultimately only fodder for the fires of hell. That's the real truth. He is the vine. We are the branches. And to please him and be productive, we need to also know, number three, that branches need to be pruned. Branches need to be pruned. If unfruitful branches are destined for the burn pile, what about the fruitful branches? Well, the passage doesn't tell us explicitly what their reward will be. But we know from the rest of John's gospel that it's very clear that reward is eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. And in John's gospel, eternal life is something that starts in this life at the moment that we fully trust in Jesus Christ when we are born again. It starts now and then it continues into eternity. So while the eternal destiny of fruitful branches is not mentioned in this passage, Jesus does tell us that those fruitful branches will be pruned. They'll be pruned. Fruitful branches are refined and improved by the Father's sharp knife. And why are they cut? So that everything that is old and dead and useless, getting in the way of bearing fruit, will be taken away. I was doing a bit of research just about grapevines. I didn't know much about them. But I, I learned that if you want a vine to produce well, of course, you need to prune it. And I learned that the pruning begins or is done in the winter when the fruit is nowhere to be seen. And then as a result, the vine is then prepared later in the growing season to yield a beautiful and bountiful harvest. Now, although not much is said in this passage about what this pruning looks like, it seems pretty clear that the pruning process is at times painful. Is that right? As that pruning purifies the branches did you know that even fruitful branches have to endure hardship? Actually, we could say that especially they have to endure hardship. God brings his branches through painful circumstances. 
You know, we often assume that hardship is God's way of punishing us or rejecting us. You should have done better. But Jesus tells us that the painful pruning process is not punishment. Instead, it is the tender gift of loving care. As the vine dresser cares for the vine and its branches. So, that causes us to ask another question. How do we know if God's pruning us? How do we know? Well, here's the answer. When we become more reliant on the vine for our life and strength, we understand that that pruning is from God. When it causes us to cling to Jesus closer and closer, then we know that pruning is for our best and it's from God. The great irony is that sometimes it is the fruitful branches that feel the most frail. You ever feel frail in your life? Weak? Things out of control? You know, in the winter of drastic pruning, we might not feel that we're faithful at all. But if we draw more deeply from the life-giving vine in times of great need, we can be assured that the master gardener is indeed pruning us. We can be assured that the vine will produce a greater harvest of fruit in time. So friends, how will you respond in times of difficulty? In times of disappointment? In times of pain and suffering? Will you draw closer to the vine? In humble dependence? In prayer? Or will you pull away from him in bitter pride? Let us draw near to Christ in those difficult times and not pull away from him. For when we draw near to him, our pain becomes pruning. And it will yield a harvest of righteousness. You see, you and I are not able to please God except when we have clung to the vine in humble dependence. Well, finally, as we seek to please God, as we seek to produce fruit, we must also remember, number four, branches bear fruit by abiding. By abiding. That's what Jesus means when he says in verse four, neither can you bear fruit by yourself unless you abide in me. Do you want to produce the fruit that God's looking for? Are you eager to be pleasing to God? There's only one way to be pleasing to God, and that is to abide in Jesus. That is the central message of this passage. It all comes down to whether or not we abide in Jesus. Now, I've heard numerous times this passage preached in this way. You need to check your life for fruit. If you don't have enough fruit in your life, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you want to be thrown into the fires of hell? If you want to avoid going to hell, you better roll up your sleeves and start working to produce some good fruit. But friends, that is a tragic misdirection of this passage. That kind of teaching 
misses the whole point. Jesus makes it clear that we cannot produce any fruit by ourselves. We can't produce any fruit by just trying harder. We can't just simply get our fruit on, right? By working harder. If we want to bear fruit, we have one option and only one option, and that is to abide in Christ. That is the only thing we can do. Abide in me is the only command in these 11 verses. It's written in the language of command. Abide in me. But it is also an invitation because Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. You see the two-way street there? As we draw near to him, he lives in us. So this then leaves us with another major question. If abiding in Christ is all we can do, how do we do it? How does that work? What do we mean by abiding? I already gave you a few translations for the word, but here's a few more. One translation of abide is to set up camp. That goes all the way back into the time of the Hebrew people. You remember when they were wandering in the wilderness? They lived in tents. And they would set up those tents and they would abide in their tent. They would live there. To abide means to take up residence. To stay put. So abiding is about deciding where you belong and where you will stay. Where are you going to put down your roots? You know, we live in a culture that's very transitory. People are moving all the time. I think I I read recently that the the average American moves once every two and a half years. That's a lot of transition. Moving, moving, moving. People don't put down roots. We don't know our neighbors like we used to. We don't belong to a church like we used to. And therefore, we get into the very American culture economy of shopping. What do we do? We shop for a church, like we shop for a new house or a new apartment. That's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to abide. That's why he has given us the church. And the church is important because it is the body. It is the flock. It is the family to which we can belong, put down roots, stay put, take up residence. So, there is a beginning to abide. Remember, the whole book of John is based, uh, we looked at this the very first sermon that we started before we got into the text itself. We looked at John 20, 31, the last verse of the Bible John says, I've written this that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That is the starting place for abiding. It's believing. Believing God's word. Embracing the message that Jesus is God's righteous vine. Admitting that there is no pleasing God apart from Christ. That's where it all starts. By the way, if you're here today and you have never fully confessed Jesus 
then you are not a part of the vine. Maybe you've never embraced Jesus as the only source of life and faith. I want to say to you today, don't wait another day to do that. Decide today to bind yourself to the vine. Because apart from Jesus, we can do, say it with me, nothing, nothing. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. But most of us here today have already begun to abide, haven't we? We've already come to faith in Jesus. We believe that he is God's provision for life, for us. And yet, if we're honest, how many of us still seek strength and life and help from the vine? In the day-to-day, there is also a continual need to abide. We don't just start abiding. We start and then we keep on abiding. There is an ongoing experience of abiding that sometimes we forget about. You see, the truth is it's nonsense to begin the Christian life by putting all your trust in Jesus and then to try to live that Christian life by yourself on your own. That just doesn't work. Even after we become Christians, we can still do nothing apart from him. So we are all invited to drink deeply of Christ, to draw more of the vitality that is pulsating through the vine. We're invited to depend more fully on him, to remain firmly fixed on him. We're invited to strengthen our connection with him, to call upon Christ in greater dependence and greater humility. And in addition to that dependence, there is also the importance of God's word. I want you to see this in verses 3 and 7. First we see that it is God's word that makes the branches clean. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And interestingly, the word, the word used there for clean is very closely related to the word for pruning. So, one of the ways, one of the major ways that we are pruned or cleaned is by the word of God. So you might consider that each Sunday as you gather for worship, for God's word to be taught or proclaimed in a class or in a sermon, that that is a part of the pruning process. Each time that you open your Bible, to spend some time with the Lord and with his word, you are being cleaned or pruned in some way. God's word applied by his spirit, activated by humble faith and dependence, sends the life-giving power of Jesus coursing through us. Isn't that amazing to think about? In verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not some magic formula to get whatever we want. Jesus, I need a new car. Amen. Thank you. I asked for it. I get it. No. You see, when we abide in Jesus and his words abide in us, what are we going to ask? We're going to ask for things that draw us closer to him. 
that help us in this abiding process. And what is the promise? It will happen. It will be done for you. As we abide in him, there is an abiding that he does in us. And his abiding in us takes place, by and large, through his word. Well, vintners, those are the people that make wine or raise grapevines, they understand that they have to adopt a long-term approach to their work. I found out that the first year, a vintner plants shoots of vines. They don't plant seeds because the, the shoots will yield the strongest vines. And then at the end of that very first growing season, guess what they do? They cut them back. And then a second year passes. And what do they do as those vines grow bigger? They cut them back again. And only after the third year will they see the first viable clusters of grapes. But I learned that serious vintners will leave those clusters of grapes. They won't cut them off. For most vintners, it's not until year four that they actually bring in their first harvest. That takes some patience, doesn't it? It takes some waiting. It takes a long-term approach. For those that are growing grapes for winemaking, they will bottle that first harvest, say after four years, but they won't taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or year eight. I read that most vineyards won't even reach a, a break-even point for their investment until year 15 or 18 or beyond. That doesn't sound very lucrative to me. Sounds like a lot of work. But do you see the long-term approach? You see, brothers and sisters, sometimes we look at our life and we wonder, why am I not more fruitful? God, why does this pruning have to hurt so much? God, why does the cultivating of a healthy crop in my life, why is it taking so long? And yet those questions all circle around the here and now. And what I want us to see is that God's perspective is much different. God has a long-term approach to our life. Like a good vineyard owner, he knows how to bring about fruitfulness better than you, and I, you or I ever will. And he is patient with us. Usually more patient than we are with ourselves. So friends, we must recognize that our fruitfulness will not come overnight. The first harvest of our labors may take some time. And that's okay. As long as we continue to abide, to stay put. When we abide in Christ through humble dependence and faith in the gospel, God's life-giving power will produce fruit in our lives. We know that because he said it. He said it. And so it is true. And so as we abide in Jesus, God will find in us what he is looking for. Good fruit. Jesus says this in verse 8. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does this fruit do? It gives glory to the Father. You see, God is pleased when he sees the fruit of Christ in his children. Mission accomplished. When we abide in Christ by faith, we bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father with our fruit. So, are you abiding in Him? Whoever abides in me, Jesus says, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we pray today that we might be encouraged by your word. Father, even in the frustrations of life and in the slowness that it seems to us uh, at times, Father, may we be encouraged that you are working as long as we stay connected. Father, we thank you for your spirit that helps us along the way, that redirects us, that reconnects us to the vine when we separate ourselves. Father, may we guard against our own independence and our desire to do it ourselves. And instead, Father, may we more and more in humble dependence, rely fully on you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.